I would say to parents, you know what? You can't take shortcuts here. You got to do the hard work of living what you want them to learn. Live what you want your children to learn. You ain't been there, and then you ain't, and you ain't just this or did that. It don't matter. Just love on them. Or love yourself. So you have to go back and love on them. It's okay. Whatever love on them. When you look back on your life, what's one thing you needed to hear your father say? And, um, that's my experience. And I can only go off of whatever I, I've experienced for almost a decade. Persistence. Persistence don't get you where you gotta go. May 2021, and you are now listening to Fatherhood Friday Season 5 uh, episode, I believe, or somewhere in the teens, I'm going to say 17 or 18, with your host, Chalmer. How's it going out there? We've made it to Friday, despite what might be going on in our individual lives. We are here. And in this month, we are celebrating uh, authors. I'm doing an author editions month. And I happened to run across uh, Mattis Miller, which is a licensed clinical social worker, certified cognitive behavioral therapist, entrepreneur, and just so happens to be an author as well uh, with a book called The Uncontrollable Child. And so he's going to be uh, sharing with us as parents, as dads, his book today. And so without further ado, allow me to welcome Mattis Miller. How's it going, man? Well, thank you, Chamber. Thank you for that really uh, clear introduction, a little bit about myself, and I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, I know uh, our time was a little bit off. Um, I'm, <laughs> Sorry I'm about here. That. By way of Texas, and, and you're in where now? Yeah, I'm in Jersey. I'm in, in New Jersey, Central New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Eastern Standard Time. Okay, and so, you know, we we often talk to dads from all different walks of life, and so, you know, how, how long have you been living in New Jersey? I've been in New Jersey about eleven years now. Um, originally from New York, so not so far from my hometown. Uh, I did actually live in Connecticut a little bit as well. So I've covered the tri-state area. Uh, okay. And so typically people uh, that live in New York, if, if they're looking for more green grass and trees, they, they move to New Jersey. Is that true? You, you got it, Charmer. Right on. So we got <laughs> grass. We got a backyard. We got a front yard. Place for us to play. And so, and so the kids. So that works. 
Nice, nice. And so, you know, before we get into today's episode, to tell us something a little bit about New Jersey, uh, for, for something that people don't know about New Jersey that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there are there is a lot of green and there are some beautiful parks throughout New Jersey. Um, it's there are more suburban places and there are there's also a lot of businesses here as well. Um, it's a pretty large state. Uh, as far as the weather, I think we have both extremes uh, on the East Coast. You know, it's it gets really cold, uh, you know, in the, in the winter. We, we get snow pretty regularly. Uh, at the same time, we get a lot of uh, some, pretty, some heat waves. It could be quite humid and hot here as well. Um, but I think what everyone knows about New Jersey is the Jersey Shore. So we do have beautiful beaches. So although it's not uh, like California and really down south in Florida where you can enjoy the beaches all, all year, uh, but uh, in the summertime, uh, it's a beautiful place and a lot of tourism. So um, we got some really nice beaches on the Jersey Shore, clean, beautiful beaches. Nice, nice. Good to know. Good to know. And so, you know, in the in the New Jersey Shore, you know, sometimes you, you could be out there and see some things that are, you know, weird, off the wall, or, or maybe even crazy from time to time, like an uncontrollable child. Oh yes, <laughs> I think you can find them everywhere. But All right, we, we definitely have them in New Jersey. I was just trying to find a good segue <laughs> to your book. Yes, yes. You can and definitely so, find it on the beach. Why why talk about uh why write a book about the uncontrollable child? What 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 was what was the reason to write a book such as this? It's a great question. So a very important piece about me that we didn't discuss, which obviously is related to that, is I'm a dad of six, thank God. So I have six children myself. Wow. So, yes, yes. I know you hear all those degrees, but then you hear I have six children and maybe change your perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a psychotherapist for over 15 years and practicing cognitive behavioral therapy, as you mentioned, uh, as, as, with other evidence-based uh, psychotherapies, I in my work, I was treating individuals, families. A lot of my focus also was with individuals with personality disorders or emotional dysregulation or emotional sensitivity, which always been uh, emotions has always been an area of focus. At the same time, you know, in my practice, we have a practice of, of many clinicians. I do work with adults, adolescents, families, and I've started to realize over time two things. Firstly, is so much of the problems that adults struggle with could have been mitigated if in childhood they were they got their needs met their emotional needs met there were differences in the parent-child interactions which could really have offset a lot of the long-term relational issues mental health related issues if they had some of those uh, core needs met early on the other thing is I also provide a lot of ongoing consultations and I realized that very often I would sit with parents and many of them would have children who are that child in their family who's more reactive or impulsive or sensitive or frequently crying. And and I would notice parents were very often very frustrated or judgmental and just had difficulty being able to interact with that child. And I would sit there and I would say, I because of a lot of my knowledge in addressing emotions, 
and dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, I felt like there was something missing that I wanted to be. I would read, there are great books out there and I would recommend a lot of wonderful parenting books, but there was something unique that I felt would be helpful to them specifically. And maybe we'll get into more of that as we go. And that's what led me to uh, say, you know what? It's time to write the book. And that's what brought me to today. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and so, you know, in, in your estimation, who is an uncontrollable child? Because I mean, that's such a broad term. You you could think an uncontrollable child is, is somebody that, you know, may not have emotional regulation or just mood swings all the time but is there is it more to it than that yeah like you said i don't think there's a singular definition although i lay out in my book uh often uncontrollable children do carry a diagnosis like adhd or odd which is oppositional defiant disorder there's a newer diagnosis called dmdd disruptive mood dysregulation disorder but it's not always the case. It could really be any child. And I think it's that child where the parent is looking at the child or the school or just feeling like this child is out of control. I can't handle this. They don't cooperate. They don't listen. It's always a battle. They're overly anxious. They're always crying. They're moody. They're bitter. They're dysregulated. So I don't think it, yes, there is a focus a bit more on that emotionally sensitive child or that child that the parent is feeling this loss of control but i i do think that it does encompass many many children uh can, can be the uncontrollable child and i think we all have a little bit uncontrollable child in us so um i think it can relate to, to many children and so you know what you're saying is more of a broad approach because there could be uncontrollable child on a mild level not just an extreme level would you agree with that yeah i would agree with that and i think sometimes parents we look at you know there are two there's the child and then there's the parent and sometimes that maybe for another parent interacting with that child they they wouldn't view that child as so uncontrollable but if there's a parent who is feeling or experiencing that child from their perspective and their interaction as uncontrollable maybe mild to some but for them it's a struggle. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, you know, if, if if a parent like myself or any parent that might be out here listening, who should proper, properly diagnose a child that might be uncontrollable? Yeah, so diagnostics are really helpful and really important. And we go to mental health professionals that can be a clinical social worker, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, your primary care physician to give a, a child a specific diagnosis. At the same time, diagnosis is helpful. It can be limited. It's helpful on the one hand because it sometimes it could be validating. Oh, that's what my child is struggling with. It could also be helpful because if the child has specific needs, uh, academic needs, it can help us realize what we need to do or what will compensate for some of their difficulties. As mental health professionals ourselves, it gives us understanding a cluster of symptoms and to do research and figure out what interventions are effective. So yes, to get an official diagnosis, you would want to see someone who's licensed and uh, has the knowledge to be able to diagnose a child. But as far as the uncontrollable child, as we were speaking before, I don't know if we need a specific diagnosis. And sometimes the labeling of the child 
with a diagnosis can have its dangers too, because then it comes along with that stigma or putting them in that box, or it might come along with some judgment. And that could be uh, problematic. So, uh, you know, I could see like a child with ADHD saying, oh, well, you know, I, I, I have ADD, so I can't do this. You know, that I can't do school anymore. School's too hard for me. So that they can use that as a crutch or to get out of uh, responsibility. So I think uh, one has to be careful in uh, how to use and, and looking for a diagnosis. Um, so... But if you do, yes, getting a proper assessment with a mental health professional, that would be the way to go. Gotcha. And, and you know, as I come up with some questions as you're answering, I want to kind of deviate from, from what I sent you earlier. Sure, sure. Uh, and and, and kind of talk about you just as a father and having mm-hmm. six kids of your own. Yeah. And, and And what, you know, have you had to experience, you know, out of, one out of maybe your six kids that might be dealing with a milder side or an extreme side of of uncontrollable emotions or things of that nature. Absolutely. I mean, one of the beauties of having six children is so many different temperaments, personalities, uh, emotional makeup. Um, And yes, certainly my children are all wonderful, beautiful children. And uh, yeah, some of them are more anxious, more sensitive. Uh, Some struggled with anger, some frequent tantruming. So I I think through my own journey in in parenting as a dad, uh, this, you know, through my own work gave me an opportunity to really reflect, take a step back and figure out how to be effective for each of my children. So um, I can't say specifically that, you know, one child, that's my uncontrollable child, though, of course, you struggle with some more than others at different stages and times. There's no question that my my being a father uh, has, has helped me tremendously in my work. And even the back of the book, when you get the book, you'll see, I wrote each of my children's name and I said, this book is credited to, to you because I don't think, you know, so much of this book is related to so many of my experiences and, and trying to be a better dad and, and using a lot of skills and strategies that I talk about. Because uh, parenting is not easy and, and no. it's tough. It's tough. It's, it's, it's a blessing. It's a gift. Uh, yet it's tough. And I think um, one of the messages I try to give through that, and I, again, probably from my own experiences, is a lot of the feedback I've gotten is that, that the book does give a message of really being non-judgmental to the parent, being very, not only to the child, but being very accepting and compassionate towards yourself, that it's understandable, it's valid that there's a lot of frustration. You know, once in a while, you will get overly emotional. You will lose it. You won't be as effective as you want to be. And that's okay. Uh, Obviously, to an extreme could be really problematic. But in general, uh, giving parents the message that it's not it's not easy. The the day to day to day uh, coping. And and obviously, if you have a child who's struggling even more, it's it's more difficult. So, yeah, yeah, my my uh, my parenting certainly has been uh, affect you know much of what I've learned uh, and, and be able to utilize. Gotcha. And so, 
you know, I've had a chance to 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 read uh, some of your book, and you know, you were saying about you know just being non-judgmental uh, toward it, and so you know, as I was reading a few chapters, it, it almost seems like um, parenting an uncontrollable child is more about changing the parent's behavior than it is changing the child's behavior. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I was going to write it, you know, the title is to be the uncontrollable parent, but I didn't know if that would sell too well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, one of the concepts that I speak about in the book in dialectics, which we might get into, is there is a dialectical concept that changes transactional that when we change, it actually affects our environment and affects the people we interact with. I mean, just imagine for a second, you know, if I, if I, you know, scream at someone or I attack someone, they are going to respond based on the way I'm interacting with them. Even if you can do experiment, experiment yourself, go into a room and actually lower your voice, you know, lower your voice volume and maybe whisper. And you'll notice that the person you're talking to will likely do the same because how we interact and, and address the situation affects our environment. And I found a lot of my work, is certainly in terms of parenting and parent-child interactions, that it's frequent, even in terms of anxiety uh, or many other struggles, that is far more effective to help the parent parent different and interact with the child than working with the child themselves. And there's a lot of research to back that up. And I think because children, of course, they don't have that same uh, cognitive capability, development, uh, emotional awareness, uh, and therefore it's harder for them to be able to uh, reflect and implement and have the same level of motivation that a parent has. So the book is really focused on um, the parent and the child. So we say it's both because if the parent makes these changes, that affects the child. And we talk about in terms of the non-judgment of themselves and the child, and even in terms of using strategies to change a child's behavior. So the goal is, again, to change the child, maybe very specifically in having them stop a certain behavior, but it's really changing the way you're interacting with them. And I would agree with that because um, about a couple of months ago, I had interviewed a motivational, inspirational speaker by the name of Mike House, and we had... Mm -hmm talked about a title to come up with the episode and it was called be the change you want to see and so change starts with you and so you can't expect your kids to change unless you're changing first yeah yeah and i, I what i like to say as i say in the book acceptance is the key to change in terms of the child and that's something you need to change how you're interacting with your child how you're viewing your child and that is the key to changing your child. Uh, and I like, not to cut you off, I like the idea of acceptance because when I read that, it it said that just because you accept something doesn't mean you approve of it. You're, you're right on. And, and it's so important because I think so many of us struggle and there are certain, I call them roadblocks in the book, but as a cognitive therapist, certain belief systems that we have and thoughts that get in, our, in the way of being able to validate, accept, be mindful, not judge our child. And one of those, and one of the common, a common things, exactly what you're saying is that, well, if I'm accepting, that means I'm, I'm saying he's okay. That means I'm approving. That means I'm, I'm, I'm saying that this is going to be like this forever. 
And that's not what acceptance means. And that's why often, I mean, let's think about something we can all certainly relate to. If anyone, uh, any of us had lost in our life, right? And we accept that we lost someone we loved. By accepting that, that doesn't mean that we're happy that we lost them or we're approved that they, you know, maybe died or passed away earlier than we hoped. And it comes with, and acceptance also comes with a lot of sadness and comes with grief and comes with pain. But acceptance is more effective than fighting the reality. As we say in DBT, accept pain plus, no, plus non-acceptance equals suffering. Right. Pain plus acceptance equals pain, and sometimes intense pain. But when we actually accept it, it actually takes away that fight, that agitation, that anger, and that gets us unstuck, which is less effective. So we really do need to first focus on ourselves, uh, addressing our way of thinking and our perspective on our child before moving towards change. Yeah, and I'm, I'm reminded of a good friend, um, Anthony Wilson. He used to tell me all the time that, you know, as it relates to my marriage and even my family, is do you want to be right or do you want to be in right relationship? That's that's it. Being effective, doing what works and letting go of, of principle. And I think with my children too, I've, I've experienced this. You, they, certain behaviors, certain... Um, certain even temperaments or uh, competitiveness or sibling rivalry um, or even, you know, academic performance or um, emotional reactions that if, you know, or behaviors, if I had in my mind, well, that's not okay, they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and, and it comes up. That's just going to get in the way of my ability to be an effective parent. I like it. I like it. And so, you know, let, let's transition into this 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 term dialectical behavior or DTB, dialectical behavior therapy. What does that mean? Yeah. So DBT is a subset of cognitive behavioral therapy, and it was developed by a woman named Marsha Linehan in the 1980s. And I like to say the story behind it because I think it really helps us understand what is dialectics and what does that mean? And so Marsha Linehan, she... She was a behavioral psychologist. She actually struggled herself early on with uh, emotional dysregulation and other issues. She was hospitalized as a young girl and she uh, became a psychologist and she wanted to do research. And she wanted to focus specifically on suicidality, people's self-harm. And she went into, she was based in Seattle and she went into the hospitals and she said, give me your worst, give me your most difficult mental health patients. I am going to work. I'm going to do research and figure out how to help these people. Um, so she took them in, she got them off meds and she started doing therapy. She was a behavioral therapist and she sat down with them and she said, okay, what are the problems here? And let's come up with solutions. Let's figure out how to make your life better. And the response was make my life better. Do you have any idea how much pain I'm in? Do you know what the people I'm dealing with on a daily basis? I can't even live like this. How can I make it better? How can you have that expectation that I could change? So she realized this wasn't working and she took a step back. She said, okay, maybe I can't focus on change right now. Maybe I need to help them accept themselves and their situation a little bit. So she started focusing more on validating, being empathetic, trying to understand their perspective, give them the support. And the response was, so you don't think there's hope for me? You don't think I could change? 
So you're just telling me to accept. So here she was on the one end, she's trying to help them change and then they just want to be accepted. And then she's working on acceptance and validation. And then they, then they're going back to change. And so she figured out that she was actually working with mostly uh, individuals who were struggling with borderline personality disorder, which the core underlying struggle is emotion dysregulation and, and going from different mood states. And that's where she started to bring in this concept called dialectics. She understood that acceptance and change were both needed. And the word dialectics means is that there can be two ideas or concepts that are, are completely opposite or appear opposite and can both be true at the same time. So if I'm accepting something, then I'm not changing it. And if I'm changing something, then I'm not accepting it. So dialectics is the idea of holding these two concepts, these two extremes and using them both and the synthesis of the two to get to move towards change and and the truth evolves over time. So the example I like to give, if you try to pick up a pen with one finger, it's going to be very difficult. But if you do it with two fingers, it's much easier because you have the tension of both fingers pressing against the pen. You're using both ends to move towards change. I like it, man. I, I really do. Um, because what I'm hearing is that you're trying to come to a middle ground, if you will. Yeah. You know, trying to find a happy medium. And, and a lot of times in society, we always paint these pictures of this, these two different extremes. It's either this or it's that. But what if it's a combination of both? Absolutely. And that and that middle path, like we say in, in dialectics often, is not necessarily 50-50. It's just finding that right balance. And that's why even in terms of my book, I, I, I make very clear, there's no right way to parent. And you you will parent the emotionally sensitive child different than you will parent, parent another child. And it's really broadening your mind to try to find, like you're saying, that right balance. And I think part of which I didn't explain earlier is why I thought this would be so effective in parenting and I started to use it in my work is because parents often vacillate to those extremes. You know what? My kid just needs to learn a lesson. I need those limits and I'm not backing down. And it's enough's enough. Everyone's about spoiling their kids today, giving them what they want, you know, uh, saying, you, you know, it's acceptance, whatever, you know, let them be. No, in my house, it's not going to be like that. And on the and they're over controlling on the other end of the spectrum. It's like the parents, you know, I don't want to say no to my children. You know, it's just important to feel loved when I grew up. You know, my dad, my mom, they were just too tough. I think we just, it's just a generation. We just need to be positive towards our kids and show them a lot of love. And I think also that's a problem because parents are having difficulty with um, implementing consequences, learning to say no to their children, uh, being consistent in their limits, learning how to be balance that with flexibility. So I think the synthesis of those two ideas, like you said, finding that middle path, that's specific for that child is is so crucial. I would agree um, because, you know, like like we were saying, you know, we're either too overly tough and aggressive or we're too loving. And so to find and a lot of times parents, especially if they have two parent household, you either have one that's really one way and another parent that's really the another way. So it really takes a uh, collective effort yeah yeah and, and there are those struggles in uh single family households in blended families 
Uh, that's a whole nother struggle. And dialectics, again, brings us back to even in any framework you're in, is trying to figure out the best balance. And when certain things aren't working and you can't fix it, then you got to move back to acceptance because not everything could be fixed. As I talk about in the book, there are only, we can have infinite struggles and problems in life, but there are only four ways or options to address those problems. Number one is to fix it, which we all know about because we actually, when there's a problem, something's broken in our house, the first thing we want to do, fix it. Number two is change how we feel about it. And that's by using different, you know, changing our thoughts, uh, making meaning, looking the positive in the situation. Number three is acceptance getting in touch with the reality. And number four, which is a choice, is staying miserable or making it worse. And often when we're in a situation, which is a tough situation where we can't control certain things, we're still trying to control, we're still trying to change. And therefore, and that's a choice, but there are only four, but there's gotta be another way. We gotta be able to do this. There are only four options. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so as as a father of six, do you have an example of, of, of what we're talking about right now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Those are the examples. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll give the, uh, you know, the other day, uh, an example that I had in terms of, you know, trying to do what works and, and you know, how to how we can be sort of mindful and present and figure out what's needed for our children in every situation. Uh, just last week, I, I I walked into my house and and I noticed that um, my uh, one of my children, uh, who's he's a 11 uh, year old boy, um, he's usually more a little bit louder and he was quieter, and I noticed he was a bit quiet, and um, and he was going he was eating supper no problem and I you know and I had a choice first of all let's number one is I noticed. So already, you know, he is more sensitive. So I'm already coming in as a father and I'm being mindful. I'm observing, which is a whole set of skills that I talk about. We can go through our day when our kids aren't acting up, we often don't notice, but learning how to be more observe, observe and being aware of the needs of each child is a skill set in itself. And we don't always catch that, but I did catch it in this situation because when I come in, I try to just be one in the moment and try to see how they're all doing. Um, and then I followed up with some questions. And at that point he said, no, nothing. Now I could have just sort of let that go, but I decided to gently follow up and say, do you want to talk about it? No. So I didn't push it. Uh, and I sort of accepted that reality. I said, maybe we'll talk about it later. He said, yeah. So again, later, so it wasn't effective for me to push then. So later, you know, he was up in his room reading a book. Uh, again, more of a down mood. And then I went ahead and I sat with him a little bit till he was able to finally tell me a little bit that in the morning in school, there were some kids who were making fun of him. Uh, and then I was able to validate uh, and, you know, the, that emotional experience, which actually helped him to regulate and feel calm down. And then I tried to, you know, tell him to, um, you know, maybe get out of your room, go outside. Well, I, I don't really want to go outside right now. Again, there was a part of me that I knew it was good for him to get out of his room. And I knew it was just getting him more in a sad, depressed state. And to see, I had to accept that's where he was at that point. So I said, okay, maybe later you'll think about it. He said, yeah, maybe later I'll think about it. And he did, he actually, so it's, you know, that's just an example of that 
balance of accepting where the child is, what they're expressing, at the same time, you know, being mindful and aware and helping them move towards change and express themselves. Uh, so that that would be a more quiet like example. Um, but then there are examples where uh, the child is, you know, my, uh, the child was upset in the morning and she was um, my little girl this week. She was screaming and she was yelling. And at first I was choosing to ignore that behavior. Um, but I was, again, very mindful aware of the behavior. And I, I understand there was a function of her screaming and I wasn't judging her screaming. I wasn't upset. At the same time, I had to address that behavior. And as she was leaving, she, you know, I was ignoring and she was upping the ante uh, because she was upset. She didn't have uh, what she wanted to take a snack. Uh, and at the end of the day, she left and she was screaming and yelling. And on her way out, she took the screen door and she slammed it again so hard that the door almost broke. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I made, it, I made a, a, a decision. Hey, you know, I think this is a behavior that needs. Now we have to be mindful and it's not black and white that needs to be addressed. And I said to her at that moment, I said, you know, that that uh, cookie that I said you can have when you come home, you know, I'm sorry you lost it. Um, and at that point she left and she came home and I didn't say anything about it and everything went on. And then she came to me later, you know, can I earn it back? And of course that sweet smile, you know, you say, you want to just say, sure. Oh yeah, you can earn it back. At the same time, there was this pattern happening regularly in the mornings and I felt that she needed that consequence, you know? And I said, you know, I'm sorry, sweet pie, but you know, you lost it and it's not something you can have. However, this morning, I actually was, again, looking for the opportunity. She actually did really well this morning. And I, and I said to her, you know, I said, uh, you're doing great this morning. I really, you're not screaming, yelling, you're getting ready to school really well. I see you're, you're really putting an effort. And I actually gave her a treat. I reinforced it. So it's, it's finding that balance, you know, putting up those limits, knowing when to validate. And we're not always perfect, um, but if we're judgmental, then it would have been um, you know, who is she to act like that? And I could have gotten more angry and screaming at her and yelling at her rather than ignoring the behavior, but implementing a consequence when needed. How are those examples? Are those? No, those, those, those are good. I'm, I'm sitting here soaking it up because, you know, as I'm listening to you, um, what it sounds like is you have to, as a parent, you have to change your mindset about how you assess problems, but two, you also have to develop a new skill set. And this is probably more reason why parents should buy your book. Yes, yes. And it, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a work in progress. And so in a nutshell, you know, how, how can we develop, especially as dads, how can we develop uh, this new skill set of, of, of knowing when to do something and when to be more accepting and when to address things and 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 things of that nature yeah and i I, that's a great question and as i said you know we're always on that dialectic and there's not a right answer i think mindfulness is really key is that we have to be in check with our own emotions we have to be aware of our own triggers we have to be able to get some distance because if we have too much of emotion the emotion is actually going to control our behavior and it's not going to lead to an effective decision. We have to learn to be aware of our thoughts, our judgmental thoughts, our should beliefs, our negativity. And we have to learn to 
notice them as thoughts and be able to learn how to respond to those thoughts and let go of the judgmental thoughts. Um, mindfulness also helps us to be effective. And as a parent, when you interact in one way or you uh, you know, implement something and then you see it's not working, then you know, hey, I got to change. You know, I love to give example, and I heard, I heard this again recently in session. You know, the mom and dad came in and they were talking about where their 10 year old was going through. And they said it was about six months that the kid was being suspended approximately twice a week. And I'm thinking to myself, what was the goal of this teacher in the classroom to send the child to the principal's office? Or what was the goal of the principal to send, suspend this kid? I assume the goal was to teach the child a lesson, to teach the child they can't, you know, there's a consequence. But after week one, week two, week three, week four, did they see change? And if they didn't see change, it's a time to take a step back and see this is not being effective. Is this about getting the child out of the, your classroom and not dealing with the child? Or is this about helping your overall long-term goal about helping each child achieve their potential? I like it, man. I like it. I like it. And, you know, and, I, and I'm saying that is because I actually at one point used to work in the educational system and, and see it, you know, see teachers send kids out of the classroom. And, you know, I often had to tell them, like, is what you're doing? Is it working? If it's not working, then why are you continuing to do it? And oftentimes, you know, teachers or, or maybe parents continue to do it because that's all that's the only tools they have in their toolbox. Yes, yes. And that's where mindful like that awareness you has the mindfulness and the fact that it's the only tool in their toolbox. Dialectics teaches us that there's there's always another perspective. And that's really what I try to give over in the book is that even the strategies and, and this, the book is filled with evidence based strategies. They're not going to work for every single child. If I had all the answers, I would give you the manual and I wouldn't be here. And <laughs> Right, right, right. I, I don't have all the answers. And these are evidence-based strategies to implement. And often there are things that are getting in the way. But are these people mindful? Are they taking a step back and saying, is this, well, this is supposed to work. It should work. No, it shouldn't. I always say over one of the whenever I do consultations and people come to me and say, you know, well, I went to this one and they said, they guarantee if I follow this program, my kid will be successful. I say to them, if you ever walk in for any consultation and someone says to you, you follow my plan, guarantee you will work. It will work. Leave before they continue. Because there are no absolutes. And dialectics teaches us that. There are no absolutes in how to, yes, there are certain frameworks mindsets that are we know are evidence-based and helpful but sometimes for this child it might be different so if i'm dealing with an uncontrollable child and i'm just all about putting up limits and being consistent and i'm not looking at and understanding the sensitivity of this child and the need for this child to feel more accepted or more validated or needs more flexibility this child is going to have struggles long term I'm, I'm loving it and I can tell you you getting passionate uh, about this book and your work and so you know we I know we can go on the phone another hour but I'm gonna stop right here okay and 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 give you one final question so if someone was interested in learning more about this book DTB I mean DTB DBT 
Mm-hmm. Um, where, where can they find your book or other resources? Yeah, so my book, you can go to the uncontrollablechild.com. And if you scroll down, you'll see there all your favorite retail sellers online, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, there are international booksellers as well. So if you click on the link, it will take you to those sites. You can order the book. If you go back to our website and you actually put in the re- there's a place to put your receipt number in there, we have uh, um, bonuses that for those who purchase the book, where I actually go through a lot of the down. There's a material that's downloadable that can actually teach you. It's a summary. We have behavioral charts. We have our roadblocks. And I have videos there to teach you how to use some of those strategies and skills and worksheets. Um, and also, if you want to learn a little bit more, um, I did a 12-part series of Tuesdays with Mathis. So if you sign up, that will be delivered to your uh, inbox once a week, where I do some of the reading from the book and give you some real-life relatable scenarios uh, related to children, parents and children that can be helpful. If you want to learn more about dialectical behavioral therapy, you can check out behavioraltech.com. That's Marshall and Hans Institute, where they'll have lots of information specifically on dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, and there are some other resources that I'm sure they can, they'll have there that can point to that direction. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit where you can get some more information on uh, DBT and how to order the book. And we also have some classes, master classes coming up. So if you want to, be alerted you could stay tuned and put your information in the website well matt is uh it has definitely been a pleasure talking with you today um on fatherhood fridays um want to thank you for for being a part of season five and so um you you guys heard it first the uncontrollable child um he is giving us tools and methods uh to to help better understand your child and help better understand yourself through uh, dialectical behavior uh, methods as well as um, you know mindfulness and I would just say purchase the book if if nothing else and so uh, if you enjoyed today's episode um, continue to follow uh, follow subscribe and reshare Um, You can always go to the website, www.fatherhoodfridays.com. Go to support, click support again, and you can donate anywhere from 99 cents or $4.99 to 99 uh, monthly subscription. Uh, Last but not least, I'm available on all social media platforms. So if you want to follow me, uh, continue to follow me by my name or just look for the Fatherhood Friday logo. Until then, this has been your host with the most charmer, and I'm signing off with Mathis Miller, and we will talk to you next Friday. Take care. And here's a sneak peek into next week's Fatherhood Friday episode. You know, I I think as we grow up, you know, we, for those of us that are fortunate enough to live in a house growing up, we expect to graduate college and end up in a house, but that's not the case. I mean, you graduate college, you got to save up money. You got to get to a point where you can buy a house or, or whatever it may be. But, you know, if you grow up in a house, 
that's what you expect to be living in when you grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always the case because especially with the way our market is just freaking nuts. Yeah, I mean, I know Colorado. It's crazy. The housing market is through the roof. 